A number of years ago, my wife and I faced a real trial with the discovery of a massive brain tumor in the head of my little boy, my oldest son, my second child. Most of you know the story, and we've talked about that. But it was a great time and a very difficult time. Uh, the Lord was working me over at that time, and, uh, uh, and the Lord let there be a series of trials. Obviously, the very fact he had a brain tumor was a massive trial. And then uh, he was going to have all-day surgery, and that was quite the day. And then uh, about a week later, he had uh, hydrocephalus uh, because of, uh, of the way the, the tumor had been and the surgery was done, and so he had to have a shunt put in. So it was another surgery just a week later that we had to go through. Then we get the prognosis that no one had ever lived from that cancer, and yet God began to give faith. And so it was just one crisis after another. Well, a couple of weeks in, uh, in the shunt, it wasn't an internalized shunt. It was an outside shunt. It's hard to explain. Uh, Maya Reservoir, it's called. Uh, because of it being an outside uh, shunt, uh, an infection got in. And so he uh, began to have a raging uh, fever because uh, it was in his spinal fluid. It was in his brain. And uh, it was just awful. We had, of course, gone through one trauma after another trauma and after another trauma. And we were beginning to be encouraged because God had ministered to us. And then all of a sudden, we were facing this. And I got to admit, you know, after a while you run out of adrenaline, <laughs> you know, you just get emotionally weary. And it was a low point for me. I just, I felt like I was losing him. In fact, we, we were. He had 105, 106 temperature. His uh, white blood cell count was off the charts. Uh, he was just in, he was in deep trouble. They were deeply, I mean, they were in emergency mode with him. And um, I remember sitting in the room and all that was going on, and it was just a dark moment. And in the door walked a friend. Some of you know Pastor Mark Shore. Mark Shore we knew from Durango. I grew up with him. And uh, this man had been through much. Uh, he had a, a wife and three children and had a car accident and lost his wife and his three children, totally by himself. My dad had him come and be an assistant pastor in our church there in Chicago, got to know him much uh, better, became a dear friend. God gave him another wonderful wife and three more children. It's just a wonderful uh, story. But if you know Mark Shore, he just, uh, he just had the love of God about him. He was just one of those true blue friends. And he told me, he said, uh, it was early in the morning. He said, God woke me up and said, you got to go to Chicago. He was living over in La Crosse at the time, so it wasn't a close, it wasn't look. No, he was in Hudson, way up by Minneapolis. And, uh, and so the Lord uh, dealt with him about the fact you've got to get to Wayne fast, and you need to leave right now. And he, he was more than glad to come, but it was, I don't remember all the details. So he dropped everything. It was early. He got up and just... Didn't even wait, got in the car and came. And he walks in the door right at the time of my deepest crisis. 
And uh, I'm telling you, it was like water to a thirsty soul. It was a balm that God gave. Uh, he represented the Lord. Just uh, the reality of Christ was on his face. And uh, I just remembered uh, at that moment, you know, God's on the throne. He just took care of me again. He gave me a friend. And then I didn't know this was going to happen. All of a sudden, all the deacons of the church walked in the door. They had heard about the crisis, and they said, we believe God wants to get a victory, and so we're going to go, and we've got the chapel, and uh, Pastor Shore, since you're here, we need somebody to lead us. And so um, he led the prayer meeting with the deacons, and they came back and said, he's going to make it. <laughs> and uh, as far as this infection is concerned, and, um, and so it was, uh, uh, it was just one of those sweet moments where God... Uh, met the need, especially with that friend. It was very vital having him there with the deacons even, and his faith, and he had been through much, and he knew God was working, and it was just great to see uh, their encouragement. We found out later that, you know, the cancer uh, was gone miraculously. God had done a miracle, and the thing that God may have used was that massive amount of white blood cells in his brain might have been the healing hand of God at that point. The doctor said, if we could do that to every child, we might could rescue them. <laughs> Little did I know that was happening. That's just a side um, a note on that. But you know, true friends are a real blessing, aren't they? A friend has been defined as the first person who comes in when the whole world has gone out. And you've heard this value of friend who for you finds time on his calendar, but cherish the friend who for you does not even consult his calendar. And uh, we all, of course, there's those few uh, folks in our lives that are true uh, biblical friends. And that means much to us. But for every one of us, we have a friend that we can count on. And what a blessing. And I just want to encourage you tonight. This is just an encouragement message. Turn with me to John chapter 15. So often it is easy for us to feel alone, though we know we theologically should not do that, but we do. Sometimes we begin to feel like God may be against us, and that's, and that's what the conference is going to be about, who God is and how that affects our view of ourselves and, and what God can do in our lives uh, and so it's very important to get the biblical view of God's relationship uh, to us. And so uh, we need to be friends of Jesus, and He is our friend. Now we're in the <clears throat> time right after the Upper Room Discourse where Jesus had left the Upper Room on Mount Zion, which is in the southern part of Jerusalem, and they began to make their walk down um, heading uh, both north and east. And they eventually get to the Valley of Kidron and then are going to go up to partway up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane where the Lord would be apprehended. And on that road we have chapters 15 and 16. He was teaching the disciples the wonderful abiding in Christ passage is at the front end of this passage here. And you have other tremendous teaching that he gives to the disciples. And they knew something was happening. 
And then chapter 17 is the great high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus where he prays right in their hearing to the Father. And it was a dramatic time as he prayed for them and uh, for us in that prayer. So this is a very wonderful um, set of chapters that are very precious to believers. But I'd like to just zero right in starting at verse 15 here of chapter 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have done, have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Some wonderful uh, thoughts here that comes from this narrative of the Lord Jesus. First of all, our position as a friend, and he is our friend. Christ's attitude uh, toward us here is seen is I, uh, I don't call you slaves. That's the word for bond slave. Uh, you know, a number of the epistles start with uh, that title. Paul says in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. That word servants is the same word, bond slave. And so, in reality, He is the sovereign God. He has paid the price for us. He created us. We are bought with the price. We are not our own. Uh, and so, the Apostle Paul, along with Timothy here, uh, very clearly understood that they were bond slaves by uh, position of who Christ is. And this is the attitude we ought to have, just like the Apostle Paul I mean, He is Lord. We should not question Him. We should follow Him whatever He says. We should fully embrace our duty as a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And He says, um, but I don't call you bond slaves. Now, did He have the right to? Well, obviously, we know that from, from the further writings. But um, He says, uh, I, I don't call you bond slaves. Uh, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. I mean, the slave isn't called over by the master and they sit down and have all this fellowship and he lays down his plans for all that he's going to do and, and converses with him. No, that doesn't happen. In fact, that would be a bit of a dangerous thing to do unless this was a uh, slave that was to be a steward or something. But uh, no, he said, uh, the servant doesn't know what the Lord is doing. Uh, this is uh, not the kind of communication that you would nor normally have, uh, but he communicates with us as a friend does. Folks, we just need to value the privilege of reading the Word of God and knowing the heart of God, the sovereign heart, the Creator, to know his mind, to know his heart, and then to have the Spirit of God bring us into fellowship with the Lord Jesus and to have the Holy Spirit illumine and communicate with us and meet the deepest needs of our heart. No friend can do that. And so even though he is the Lord, even though he is sovereign, he has the full right to call us bond slaves. He said, a master doesn't communicate this way. 
the way that I am to, uh, to them. But, but this is the communication that only a friend will do. A friend is a confidant who shares the knowledge of the superior's purpose and voluntarily ado adopts it as his own. And so Jesus reveals here to the disciples everything that the Father had given him, he was sharing it with him. I mean, he's speaking of what they had learned in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and uh, on to 16 and 17. They were getting the inside scoop. They weren't really wanting to hear it, but they were <clears throat> being treated in a very <clears throat> personal, wonderful, close way, and not as a normal master-slave relationship. And um, <clears throat> they would find out that they were engaged in the right task and God was going to bring a great conclusion to all of this. Now, a friend cannot be a friend if that friend doesn't communicate. You don't just sit there and look at each other. That's not friendship, okay? <clears throat> Sometimes you see, you, you see couples... Um, that think they're in love and they're friends, but all they do is gawk. I mean, that's not real uh, friendship. But anyway, uh, but friends communicate with each other. That's what Christ was doing. And we, uh, we are, have the privilege of going boldly to the throne of grace. And, uh, and so it's a wonderful thing. Folks, we've got to realize that I don't care what burdens you're carrying, and we carry them at times. Uh, things are, are hard. Things are disappointing. But you've got a friend that's going to communicate with you. Let him talk to you. Honestly, you have enough times when you hear the voice of your friend. Uh, the Lord Jesus is sharing his heart. You're understanding truth. He's giving you the whole scoop of what's happening in your life. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what the darkness is. You are encouraged because you are meeting with someone that really does care about you. Uh, but remember, uh, faith is a real key in this. We've been talking a lot about that with Abraham and then Moses this morning. And uh, we need to, to understand that if we're going to have the kind of relationship we ought to have, we've got to believe God, James 2.23 and the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the what? The friend of God. But what did it start with? Faith. He believed God. He stepped out by faith. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He left Haran later. He went into Canaan. He was willing to believe God, wait on God, and then he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And because of that, he developed the heart of the Lord. And even in the Old Testament era, without all the benefits we have, he was known as the friend of God. Isaiah 41.8 says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. And so the key there is walking by faith. Folks, even the commitments we made tonight, as we obey the Lord, listen to His voice, believe that His priorities are right, that brings us into fellowship with Him. We're in agreement with Him, and now we begin to start thinking spiritually. Our hearts are right. The Spirit of God is able to work, and now we can speak to Him, and He speaks to us. And uh, what a blessing that is. And then He goes on and talks about His plan for His friends. But I have called you friends 
For all the things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And then verse 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. So we're all his friends. He communicates with us. He has that kind of relationship, but he has a plan for us, and he has chosen us. Now, remember, our friendship is based upon his grace. There would be, we were prior to salvation enemies. That's a staggering thing to think about. The enemy of God. But because of the Savior and because of what he did upon the cross, he has made it possible for us not only to be saved, but he has chosen us to be friends with a plan. That's why, folks, worldly Christianity is such a tragedy. Uh, often we look at James chapter 4 there, how that a friend of the world is what? An enemy of God. Here we've been saved and rescued, no longer enemies, having the privilege to be a friend, and yet believers all over the world will be more friends with the world than they are with the one that died for them. Spurgeon said, but greater love, uh, but greater love a man may have than to lay down his life for his friends, namely if he dies for his friends. And here is the greatness of Jesus' love, that though he called us friends, the friendship was all on his side at the first. He calls us friends, but our hearts called him enemy. That's, and that's true. And I really want to encourage you folks, don't be an enemy now. And we can be. But you know, Christians can oppose the work of God. Christians can hinder and break up the work of God. Christians can love the world and, and lead their family away from loyalty to God. That's a serious matter. When you think that he chose us and we have this glorious privilege and he has chosen us for a purpose. He wants us to participate in what was most important to him, and that was glorifying the Father. How many times did he talk about magnifying the Father, glorifying the Father, doing what the Father wants? He, that was his whole purpose was to glorify him. And so he has given us the privilege now to be his uh, representatives here on this earth to accomplish the things that will glorify the Father. John 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And so, how do we glorify Him? Let's go back to verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you I've chosen you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now, folks, it, it's not hard to figure out what really pleases God. Now, he's certainly pleased with our praise, the sacrifice of our lips. He is pleased when we uh, do things uh, that are honoring to him and have a life that is right. But see, all of that... Every time we take a step of faith enables then the Spirit of God to then take our lives as the vine and the branches and be, we are able then to bear much fruit. And that is what glorifies 
the Lord. And it's not just bearing fruit, but fruit that remains. See, folks, that's the whole multiplication process. That's how Christianity spread. As we're uh, loving the Lord and we're fellowshiping him, with Him, He's our friend and we understand how much He loves us and we understand His mind and heart. We're listening to His counsel. Uh, God is then able to work and we see people saved and then we see those people not just saved but they are remaining in the faith and they are then doing the very thing that God was able to do in us. They're walking with God. Uh, they're serious about letting the Spirit of God work, and they're bearing fruit that remains. That's how Christianity spread so rapidly in the first century. And that's what honors the Lord. Because see, what honors the Father is that what Christ did, that is become, becomes efficacious around the world. All right, from Abraham, all the nations of the earth should be blessed. God wants to bring the world to Him. And so... Uh, this is, this is uh, really the climax here of, uh, of what it means to be a friend, uh, to have his heart, to understand the fact that if, if we're really going to know Jesus, he's going to talk about he went to the cross. He's going to talk about his love for the world. If we're really on the inside with the Lord, we're going to realize the mind of Christ, how humble he was, and he was willing to give up anything so that we could have everything. And uh, the whole plan for the future, you begin to get the inside track of what the book of Revelation means and what's going to happen and all of these things. And the more you get that inside information uh, through the Word of God and as God illumines it in your heart, you really begin uh, to understand why bearing much fruit that, and the fruit that remains is so important to Him in the fact of glorifying uh, the Father. And so it's, a, it's really amazing here speaking about uh, uh, bringing forth fruit that remains, that does not pass away. Um, not wood, hay, and stubble, but uh, gold, silver, and precious stones as we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Matthew 6, 19, "...lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth." Where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that certainly fits into stewardship here. <clears throat> but what is really important uh, to us? Well, the Lord said, if, if you really have my heart, then you're going to let me produce fruit that remains. The Lord rejoices whenever someone gets saved. I believe, I love ring the bells, you know, uh, and I love the idea of uh, uh, just in heaven, the angels uh, rejoicing over one that was lost, that was saved. And uh, it's, just a, it's just a joy to the Lord every time, and the Father is glorified. I really think every time somebody gets saved, they're shouting in heaven. There's great rejoicing. It's a blessing. And I tell you, folks, when you lead someone to the Lord and they are fruit that remains and uh, you've led them to a genuine, uh, genuine salvation experience and then they begin to walk with God by faith and you pour your life into that, you begin to rejoice like Jesus does. 
I tell you, some of the happiest moments I've ever had is when somebody gets saved. I mean, it's just amazing. And then to see them go on, uh, I mean, it's just so sweet. Uh, I, I think over the years, and I see people that have gone on for the Lord and just the opportunity to have part in that. I don't care how bad things go at times. You just can't get discouraged when you see fruit. It just, it's just good. And I tell you what, you have fruit. Your spouse has fruit. Your children do. Your family's all about it. Listen, that's the way you keep your family together. Get excited about fruit bearing. Get the heart of Jesus. I mean, it just becomes real. There is joy. In fact, in this very passage, it talks about he wants his joy to be given to us. And then the privilege of friends. And this is just remarkable. In the latter part of verse 16, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. The privilege of his friends. The friend of the Son is the friend of the Father. All oh, that well-beloved story of a man comes to the door of a mansion and hands a letter. The man is in tattered clothes, obviously not very well off. It's a young man. A little bit taken aback, the owner of the home. But he takes the letter. And then he says, it's from your son. His son had died in action. He knew that. He opens the letter with trembling hands. It was the letter written at the time of his, just at the time of his death. You could tell by how it was written expresses his love to his family, expresses other things. And then he said, Father, I want you to know that the bearer of this letter is so-and-so and that he stayed with me all through my final hours. He has been my best friend. He risked his life and he was true to the end. Would you receive him in my place? The letter ended, signed by his son. When that well-to-do man looked at that boy, he had a different view of him. That boy was ushered into that house and treated as the friend of his son. And my friends, we have... We're worse than having tattered clothes and being a beggar. We have been rebels against God. But Jesus Christ died for us. And Jesus says, any friend of mine can go to the Father and get whatever he needs. Not because of us, but we're in Christ. My friends, we go to the throne in Christ's stead. I mean, in him. And then the Holy Spirit empowers us. And I'm telling you, the Father listens closely to the friend of his son. And let me just say that when we're invested in eternal fruit bearing, 
we're going to have all of our needs met. You see, when we have not only been saved by the Lord and are a child of God and have that wonderful position in Him, but have gone further to the place in which we now have the heart of His, of his Son. We are thinking the thoughts of His Son. We are bearing fruit for the glory of the Father and the Son. We are realizing the very purpose for which Jesus came those that are invested in eternal fruit bearing, you're going to have answers to prayer. Soul winners, disciples, have powerful prayer lives if they're genuinely spirit-filled people. Uh, it's an amazing thing. God will work. You will that you can tell that the heart of the Father is moved by someone that loves his son so much and is truly a friend. I know that for me, any friend of my father's was immediately a friend of mine. I trusted them. I loved them. If my dad loved them, I didn't have to even know them. I loved them. And now that I'm a father, any friend of my children if they say, Dad, this is someone who's special, I don't have to know them. They're special to me immediately because they are my children's friends. You all know what I'm talking about. Just think of that. That's how intimate our relationship can be with the Lord. When we're interceding and we're burdened and we're giving of ourselves, uh, there is that personal reality of friendship in our prayer life. And God wants to do a great work uh, through our prayer life. And, and honestly, folks, you can begin to pray big prayers and see God do big things. Again, speaking of Spurgeon, he gives a testimony that there was a very, uh, a very large sum of money to be paid for the building of the orphanage. And I was up with certain friends at Regent's Park dining at the house of one of our brethren. I there mentioned that I was short 2,000 pounds to meet an account which would very soon be due, but that I was sure God would graciously give it, for it was His work and He would supply its need in answer to prayer. We were discussing as to whether or not it was not rather bold to speak too positively about answers to prayer of such kind. And while we were still discoursing about this, there came a telegram from the tabernacle to me saying, a person unknown has called and left 2,000 pound, uh, 2, pounds in banknotes for the orphanage. I read the telegram to the friends assembled, and they were glad, and the discussion ended. Okay, uh, about all of that. Uh, uh, the gratitude and astonishment uh, abounded. And, uh, and folks, God wants to do great things for someone that he knows, someone that knows him. See, that's a real part, folks, of the, it is a key part of the prayer life. We pray to have the power to be able to bear fruit, and when we bear fruit, we have a, an understanding of the, of the Father as we go through the Son that enables us to pray with great um, uh, with great effect. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory, there it is, forever 
and ever. And, uh, and so uh, he then finishes up the purpose for his friends, verse 17. And he also set it back up in verse 14. Let's look at verse 14. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Verse 17, these things I command you, that ye love one another. And so his friends are going to love others like Jesus loves us. He repeats this theme from chapter 13. Uh, John, uh, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. For by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And up in verse 12, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. And so uh, what, a, what a tremendous uh, blessing because, uh, when we get that reality that he's our friend, he, he, he communicates, he gives us his heart, we can know his heart, we're able to, uh, to have the ability to pray and he will meet needs, uh, then he will give us the power to bear fruit, not just in the lives of lost people, but that we can truly love one another. And um, don't you feel the Lord's love many times? Isn't that an overwhelming thing? Well, through you, people ought to feel the love of the Lord. I mean, we represent the Lord. And if we're truly his friends and we have his heart, there are going to be times when the Lord just, just works in your heart. You give of yourself and the love of Christ comes through. A person might not really be on spiritual ground, but they're in need and God burdens you. And you have that love, and that love can just come right through you as an instrument and go deep into their soul. It, it can be in actually a moment. The whole paradigm can change if the fruit of the Spirit love is in your life. And so we receive from the Lord so that we can give. And I, it's just a wonderful thing. God meets our needs so that we can meet the needs of others. So tonight I just wanted to encourage you, isn't it wonderful to have a friend? You really are a friend of Jesus, but are we the friend of Jesus? The question is, do, if we love him, then we're going to keep and cherish and listen to his commandments. We're going to have his heart. And... Every day, every moment, the Lord wants that reality of his relationship to be dominant in your life. And if we open our hearts to him and just yield, I'm telling you, friends, you can't be lonely. You can't be discouraged. He's right there with you. In fact, I'd love to hear somebody come and say something about you. You know, I'm a little worried about so-and-so. He keeps talking to himself. And I said, you know, I think he's probably talking to his friend. I'd love for every Christian to be that kind of Christian, talking to your friend and learning from your friend all day. Folks, it's real. Jesus said so. It is what God wants. And I'm telling you, we have a glorious Christianity. It's got to be personal. It's got to be real. It's got to be dynamic. It cannot just be in our minds. It's got to be from our heart in a genuine relationship, and it will translate into powerful prayer and then an opportunity to see God use us to meet the needs of others. And then the Father is glorified. So wonderful teaching from the Lord. Just remember tonight when you leave, you're his friend. He chose you.
He chose you. He wants you to have the inside secret. He's ready to talk with you. He's ready to be your friend.